Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Evolution Exposed Exposed series, published September 14th, 2020, titled Scientific Impossibility of Atheists, featuring Hannah Reloaded. We are putting on a conference called Evolution Exposed. We pulled in experts on the subject of evolution for a total of 11 speakers and gave them just 15 minutes to give us their best. And on top of all that, a one-hour Q&A panel session. You're going to love Evolution Exposed. Anyone can refute evolution. Go to the zoo to me and you. Call that a fairy tale. Not allowed to ask questions. It made evolution look ridiculous. That was the foolishness of atheism. I yeah. knew I was going to get corrected. No, I wasn't even listening to your answer. <laughs> this guy might be coming for you. Welcome to Apologia, and another installment of Evolution Exposed, Exposed. Our claim-by-claim investigation of the Creation All-Star Mega Seminar. If you'd like to catch the series from the beginning, tap on the playlist above my head. Previously, Ray Comfort wondered out loud about the evolutionary process that brought about eyes and circulatory systems. Taking his question as sincere curiosity, rather than blind incredulity, we provided brief explanations of the substantial evidence and significant understanding we do have about the evolutionary history of these organs. But Ray didn't pause for an answer as he proceeded immediately to call into question larger, but not really related, topics. And then add to that the insanity of atheism. Atheism is the craziest philosophy. I don't know about that, Ray. Atheism isn't really a philosophy as much as it is a lack of belief in a deity. Without sufficient evidence for one, that seems like the reasonable position to take on the matter. In terms of the craziest philosophy, I'd ask you this. What's crazier, the understanding that everything we know came about as a consequence of natural physical laws? Or the belief that a supreme being somehow came to exist, fully formed, and all-powerful with the motivation to create the universe? In order to explain creationism, first you must explain how a supremely intelligent being with the power to create the universe came to be. Now that sounds like irreducible complexity to me. There's no atheist mentioned in the entire Bible. Sorry, Ray, but the Greek word atheoi, atheist, is in the Bible. Ephesians 2.12. It's translated as the godless or ungodly. They were around. While Ray is right in his assessment that there are not many self-professed atheists in the Bible, this is due to the context within which it was written. The writers of the Bible lived in a deeply spiritual world in a time without the tools of science or technology to explain natural phenomena we take for granted today. This was a world in which each culture had deep ties to their supernatural beliefs, and we see this reflected in biblical text. Several antagonists of the Hebrews in the Old Testament have their gods mentioned. For instance, the Philistine god Baal is name-dropped, as well as the Canaanite god Molech, who had a penchant for having his followers sacrifice children. <laughs> Good times. Anyway, Ray, since I'd imagine you don't believe in their gods, wouldn't that make them atheists, at least in regard to the god you believe in? 
Another fun fact is that some early Christians were arrested by Rome for the formal charge of atheism, the subversion of religion. Christians were actually the first atheists. It does say the fool is hidden in his heart, there's no God. It does say professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. But there's no atheistic tribe or there's no particular atheist because an atheist believes the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. Atheism doesn't say anything about one's particular stance on the origin of the universe other than that it couldn't have been a god since we don't believe in any of them. Though, Ray, if you have verifiable evidence to the contrary, please step up and accept your Nobel Prize in physics. You could buy you and Kirk a lot of bananas with that money. Now, I've been pressed on that by many atheists saying I'm misrepresenting what they're saying. This should be a warning sign in any conversation. If the person you're talking to is telling you that you're misrepresenting them, then you're probably not engaged in a useful conversation. It means you're talking past each other. If you actually care about the other person, or care about having an impact on their way of thinking, I would suggest some kind of active listening. When you give your full attention to the person speaking, ideally repeat back to them what they said, but using your own words. It's only when your conversation confirms that you've understood them that you can proceed on the same page. When honestly discussing opposing ideas, it is best to steelman the opposite side, to attempt to address the strongest possible version of an argument or line of thinking. If many people are telling Ray the opposite, that he is misrepresenting them, it means he doesn't care about understanding. He's deliberately chosen to straw man, attacking an inaccurate position that is obviously easier to defeat than the opponent's actual position. But an atheist doesn't believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. Ray named this seminar Evolution Exposed, but is now talking about the origin of the universe for some reason. For anyone who's unaware, Biological evolution is an attempt to explain the diversity of life on our planet. That's all it attempts to explain. The evolutionary process begins only after life already exists. It doesn't address the start of the universe, or even the start of life. Talking about cosmology in a seminar about biology would be similar to running a driver's ed class. But instead of talking about road safety... The class was all about how to drill for oil. The topics may seem related, but ultimately they are not. As long as we acknowledge that Ray is no longer addressing biological evolution in his seminar about biological evolution, I suppose we can talk about cosmology for a bit. But if you watch our movie Crazy Bible, there are seven leading atheists that say that's exactly what they believe. Richard Dawkins, Lawrence Krauss, P.Z. Myers, and four other leading scientists who are atheists. I watched Ray's crazy Bible movie, as he suggested. Unfortunately, Ray does not describe the video accurately. No one in the video claims that nothing created everything. Set aside that Ray promises seven names and there are only six, five of the scientists are mentioned by name, but say literally nothing at all about anything, because Ray just talks over them. Here are some of the leading atheists who believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. Professor Richard Dawkins, physicist Paul Davies, 
Professor P.Z. Myers, physicist Stephen Hawking, physicist Victor J. Steinger, and of course, Professor Lawrence Krauss. As long as we're making videos that just list names and not provide any evidence about their positions, here are seven people who say that Ray Comfort owes them a million dollars. Amy Poehler, Pastor Greg Locke, LeBron James, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, U.S. General Mark Milley, TikTok star Charlie DeMilo, Sean Hannity, and Gonzo the Great. Pay up, Ray. So, the only physicist whom Ray does have speak in his movie is Professor Krauss. And it means that our whole universe, everything we see, everything that matters to us today, could have arisen out of precisely nothing. Now that actually sounds a little like what Ray was saying. So far, Ray's okay. It's possible, without any supernatural shenanigans, for matter and particles to be created from nothing. Um, are you saying that, there, that there's energy in that nothing, in that space? What's really remarkable is once you put gravity into the mix, is once you put gravity into the mix, is once you put gravity into the mix, you can make, you can have positive energy and negative energy. Oh no. Defeat snatched from the jaws of victory. To be fair, Dr. Krauss's position can be a little confusing, particularly if you look at the title of his book, A Universe from Nothing, and don't read all the details. We had a strange edit in the interview there. Are you saying that there that there's energy in that nothing in that space? What's really remarkable is you can tell from context that Krauss affirms it. His nothing includes energy and other things. It's just a universe without matter. This is not the same as Comfort's metaphysical nothing. The two men are not using the same word in the same way. Say they actually believe not that there was nothing in the beginning, but they say nothing was the prime mover. Nothing was the creative force, which is absolutely crazy. While there's no single consensus position, since our ability to test and know the conditions outside our universe and before our universe may always be untestable, it can be said that cosmologists generally reject the idea of nothing in the beginning. For instance, one popular idea about a singularity that predated the Big Bang is understood even at the level of pop culture sitcom theme music. Philosophically, it seems reasonable that to avoid an infinite regress, there does need to be some kind of brute fact at the end. Something that just is. While I'm no expert, I tend to agree with those who believe that energy is eternal. Ray thinks that God is the eternal thing. And so we are at an unprovable, unfalsifiable stalemate. But I have the superior position of being able to demonstrate that energy actually exists in the first place. Ray cannot. It's an intellectual embarrassment. And yet, those who believe it... That may be. But Ray refuses to demonstrate that any qualified person does believe it. He merely insists that they do because he is attacking the straw man we spoke of earlier. It is meaningless to declare victory over a position that no one holds. Have the audacity to hide behind the skirts of science and call evolution scientific. Again, cosmology has nothing to do with biological evolution. There are more evolution-affirming Christians in America than there are atheists. Most of these would affirm that God created the universe that God started life, but that God diversified life by way of 
evolution. These are entirely compatible views to anyone who understands the science. It's the gospel that opens the eyes of the understanding so sinners can know the truth and the truth will make them free. So make sure you put the horse before the cart. Apologetics are the cart, the gospel is the horse. Let it always lead. But Ray, I've reviewed multiple movies of yours filled with hours and hours of street preaching and not once have you led with the gospel. It's always about trying to disprove science or shame people for their positions on abortion first, tell them about scripture second. You use your apologetics as a crowbar to jimmy open people's brains so you can fill it with your scripted gospel catchphrases about knowing where you're going to go when you die and how everyone is a sinner. Maybe take your own advice. Open with that next time and see how it goes for you. So if I've got someone and I'm talking to them about the subject of evolution or whatever, I'll say something like this. I'm going to change the dynamic for a minute. I'm going to stop addressing your intellect. I'm going to address your conscience. Is that okay? So you're admitting to having such a weak argument intellectually that you have to resort to emotional manipulation? Honestly, that's kind of refreshing to hear. I get his permission because I know it always works, because he doesn't feel threatened by me addressing his conscience, because he doesn't listen to it anyway. Just because someone isn't an evangelical Christian doesn't mean they're bereft of conscience or their ability to listen to it. If anything, those without a religious belief have to engage with their moral conscience on a more regular basis instead of deferring moral responsibility to a religious text written during the Bronze Age. And besides, he's a good person, not doing anything wrong. So it doesn't bother him. And when I address the conscience, I open up the moral law as Jesus did. Go through those commandments as he did in Mark 10, verse 17. Ooh, Mark chapter 10. I love this part. This is the famous passage where Jesus says to take all that you have and to give it to the poor. And how it's nearly impossible for a rich man to get into heaven. I wonder how Ray's doing on that front. As Paul did in Romans chapter 2. You who say you shall not steal, do you steal? You say you shall not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? So don't worry if you're not a Ken Ham. And to be fluent and eloquent in apologetics, all you have to do is know how to open up that moral law as Jesus did in not only Mark 10 verse 17, but the Sermon on the Mount and show lust to be adultery, hatred to be murder, address the conscience and show the sinner he is in great danger. Ray, does it not strike you as morally repugnant that the danger sinners find themselves in is one entirely contrived by the God you hold so dear? The God of the Bible is both omniscient and omnipotent, meaning he is a perfect clockmaker. He can make any clock he wishes perfectly and with no faults. So if God creates a clock with a design flaw or malfunction, by definition, it must be a flaw of his own design. Could this clockmaker be rightfully angry at a gear that sticks by his own design? If God created this world, it would have to be of a design wherein sin is not only possible, but inevitable. He has created imperfect beings and judges them for his own design carried out perfectly. This danger is not the fault of the designed. It would, by definition, have to be the fault of the designer. Because I don't want to convert someone away from evolution. That seems unlikely. And they carry on in their sins and are damned in hell. That doesn't do anything. I want to see them saved to be born again. And the only thing that's going to do that is to preach the gospel to every creature as Jesus commanded us to do. So God doesn't want our expertise uh, and apologetics. He just requires our faithfulness to preach the gospel to every creature and carry out the Great Commission. Again, though, 
Why create a system that requires those within to carry out what to God is an arbitrary task? God could have created a universe in which people have both free will and are naturally drawn to him. And before you say this would be a contradiction, Ray, lest I remind you that through God, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. And even in that hypothetical universe, God could accomplish his means by way of evolution. Questions about universal conditions prior to the Big Bang, about whether there are any sincere non-believers, or about the need for payment for sin, may be interesting questions, but they are all entirely unrelated to the notions of natural selection and common ancestry. Perhaps our next speaker will return us to the topic at hand. Huge thanks to longtime Ray Comfort interlocutor, Hannah. You probably know her from the Hannah and Jake Bible Reloaded channel, with many years of Bible studies and chick track dramatizations. But Hannah has recently begun an explosion of new work on her new solo channel called Hannah Reloaded, streaming every day on a variety of topics, from current events to pop culture to conspiracy theories. It's so new, you've probably not subscribed yet. So, please find a link in the description and fix that immediately, and tell her Apologia sent you. Up next on Evolution Exposed Exposed, Dan Biddle warns us that In the state of California, uh, kids in public school are subjected to over 250 pages of evolution teaching before graduating uh, high school. If you do the math, that's almost 20 pages a year. Why, that's almost as many pages as a Spider-Man comic book. How could any student overcome the equivalent deluge of reading a very short novel in the course of 13 years? Let's find out. See you there.